0: Welcome! This is the Heysan Sorrells Audio Experience. My name is Heysan Sorrells. Look, we are trying something different, so I want you to join us on the Haysan Sorrells Presents Audio Experience for interviews, for rants, for raves, for thoughts, for process, and you'll get a knee-deep, hip-deep, and ear-deep view inside of what I do. Look, if you like what you're listening to, please like me, please rank me, Stitcher, iTunes, Overcast, Google Play Music, everywhere where you get your groove on, I want you to give me a few stars. All right, now, let's head into the experience. Hello. Normally, I put the ad reads at the back end of the podcast so that you can hear the good stuff and not have to listen to me shill pointlessly for two minutes. Just so you know, I do this intentionally in our production because even I object to commercials as much as the next podcast listener. However, at this moment, I would ask that you indulge me because I've got a book coming out on April 30th, 2022 on Amazon, and I'd like you to go ahead and place your order right now. The book's title is 12 Rules for Leaders, the Foundation for Intentional Leadership, and it's a collection of 13 essays on leadership. In the book, I address the 12 leadership areas that we have found leaders need to be the most effective in. And then I throw in an extra essay there at the back end. From establishing a foundation of leading teams through managing conflict effectively, all the way through leading teams through change, knowing what to do and why to do it, I believe can help you become a better leader. This book wasn't written just over the course of the last two years, and this isn't another fly-by-night leadership development book, here today and gone in the wind in the next month. 12 Rules for Leaders represents a continuation of the work we've been doing here at HSCT Publishing with our leadership training and development products and services, from leadership toolbox to leading keys, and it also represents the distillation of lessons we've learned, absorbed, and transmitted to others from training and developing around 15,000 managers and supervisors over the course of the last 10 years. This is no slouch of a book but it's written in an easy-to-understand and easy-to-read direct format with practical tips that you can implement today no matter your leadership problem, your leadership situation, or your leadership circumstances. It's kind of like getting coaching from me directly without having to pay my full coaching rate. I fundamentally believe that this is the book right now, for right now, because leaders like you are positioned to do great work during the truly revolutionary times we are living in, well, right now. And sometimes you need a book as a guide to help you through the work. So head on over to leadershiptoolbox.us and scroll down the homepage. Click on the link and add your name to the pre-order list for 12 Rules for Leaders, the Foundation for Intentional Leadership. And look for the book in hardcover, paperback, and Kindle format on Amazon, On April 30th, 2022. By the way, we'll be talking about the rules in 12 Rules for Leaders in our podcasts, both the long and the short, throughout the months of May and June. So you don't want to miss out on that. And well, that was three minutes. So that's it for me. Lower left-hand side. Move your cursor over there. It says mute. Can you hear me now? There you go. I can hear you now. Is it? Is that okay now? That's that's good. That's good. And, and you know what? You've got the good up lighting. Um. Or no, you have got the good side lighting, and you're, you're. Um, we're looking up at you. So I mean, that's that's good. That's that is it's all intentional. I promise.
1: <laughs> and and I know you will believe me when I say that. Um. I've been trying to get on. Just for like the last
0: seven minutes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've been prepared, but it's just not in you know. Uh,
0: this is why we just started talking. I was like, I can't do a whole like prep thing with him. I just was just let's just go. <laughs> We're gonna do a Marin thing. We're just gonna start talking, and you're gonna meet, you're like, is are we recording this? Yes, we started recording. Better.
1: <laughs> so, so you know i i set an alarm for 9 9 15 <clears yeah <clears <throat> got up popped up fine plugged in yeah. some coffee take yeah. medication but it's like you know i'm gonna to need to eat because i mondays i usually um i don't want to say starve myself fat it's kind of a fast
0: okay yeah intermittent um, fasting because but- that's all that's all the rage like with people now the intermittent fasting
1: it just always happened on Mondays being in the food service industry. Cause I would work like a billion hours, you know, Friday through Sunday. And then, you know, it's so many hours. And, and it, I mean, bowel movements are an enormous part of my existence. And so just for like the last like 10 or 12 years, I have Mondays off and I just go, you know what? I just have to get through this shift. I just need to get to Monday.
0: We're not, we're not cutting that. <laughs> that that makes it that makes it into the podcast and
1: and then and then monday rolls around and i i just i wake up and i just try and get as much like greens and fiber in my body as possible and i just pound prunes and greens and like edamame and uh and i I just i just try and take as many shits as possible
0: and like that's kind of like what works for me on mondays and so uh and this is why this podcast is going on the Hayson Sorrells audio experience, not our, you know, more august uh, brand. <laughs> you know, this, I mean, this, this is raw, and we can be we can be raw, we can be real here. We can just talk about stuff, and yeah, like I said, that's that's gonna that's gonna make the cut. So I'm not I'm not hyper concerned about it. I have five questions, and that's it. Jesus, oh man,
1: that's it's amazing. Well, it's, it's just five. I mean. Yeah, well and you know, it's just like if if I were to ask, have you seen um uh Kevin Smith's Too Fat for Forty?
0: No. I, I stopped following that dude. Oh gosh, probably about fifteen years ago. Like I have no idea what he's doing now. I, I figure he's just like in New Jersey somewhere, hanging out in a basement kind of full circle from the nineties. He kind of came all the way back to his clerk's existence, which is his baseline, and I just I really didn't I didn't pay too much attention to him after that. <laughs> I
1: think that's what he's
0: doing. <laughs> he's doing like Clerks 35 or whatever. <laughs> well,
1: so I don't know if I told you, and I have images of it somewhere, but who cares? Um, my brother's house in the Atlantic Highlands mm-hmm. is two blocks from the store where Clerks was filmed. Okay. All right. And so I would take the um, uh, the Hudson Trail. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get to a particular point, and you just look to the right, and, and, and there's the Clark store, and there's, store the and there's like, um, there is uh, images from Kevin Smith's universe and the Clerks and that sort of thing. And when I left, they were filming, so they had all that ship locked off. I don't know what they were mm-hmm. filming. Like you said, Clerks 37, and
0: yeah, it's, <laughs> and it's so- the Netflix series for Clerks. I don't know, or the who actually that would be on Hulu. Because there's nothing more exhilarating than critiquing the <laughs> the successes of others. It, yeah. What the hell? Why not? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've, we've moved through several things here just in the first like three minutes. <laughs> From mundane food service to bowel movements to Clark's and Kevin Smith. Now, what was, what was your point about old Kevin? What's he doing? Fat at fat at 40, or fat after 40, or I'm about to be 50, or whatever the heck that thing is called. So, uh, so, um, he
1: was, I believe the title came from when he was kicked off the airline
0: <laughs> because he was too fat for the seat. I vaguely remember that. And, um, I remember somebody, yeah, somebody was like complaining about it on social or something. Some social media platform somewhere into the other seat. Yeah, and um, excuse me. No, no, no. He had too much success. Like that's that's kind of what happens. And um, that's why I roll jujitsu now. I don't want to have too much success. It's, it's uh, but I also want to get armbarred by a twenty-seven-year-old former wrestler. So I mean, (laughs) there's also that. Well, you, you want to yeah sure why not what else am I going to do in it, my day
1: yeah I have like I want to be tased I want to know what it's I want to know what it feels like to be shot yeah there you go <laughs> I mean that might be a little <laughs> I'm a little... serious I've had this fascination but the okay. two ta- fat for 40 thing like he so he put this out on maybe Netflix or something or whatever and and so uh, it starts it basically the the outline of the program is uh the audience asks questions and mm-hmm. he answers them okay and uh an audience member asks one question and then he answers it and he speaks for a full hour (laughs) answering that one question (laughs) and he closes his the answer with like uh yeah so that's how i met bruce willis
0: oh okay (laughs) well there we go i mean that's so that's our podcast culture come full circle. Then I mean, you know, you ask one question, and then forty minutes later, you get to the next question. And by the time you get there, ah, we're done. <laughs> Guess we got to close the hour. Congratulations, you wasted an hour on that. <laughs> well, it, for me, it kind of like it it brings the
1: uh, it brings the attention to uh, things like uh, entertainment. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of versus like uh, stand-up comedian versus entertainment. Okay. Performance uh, versus improv.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I can I can see where you would get there from that. Yeah, because you know what, I mean, in general, those two things are kind of together. But you're talking, but they're like at two different extremes. Like there's a there's a line there. It's not a confluence. It's a line. You know, there's no overlap. So, and of course, everybody's performing now, like we're performing right now. (laughs) Maybe more honestly than other folks, but we're we're putting on a show. I mean, there's a show, you know, and I tell this to people often, like Sinatra, number one, Sinatra would have hated social media. He'd been like, screw all you guys. And he would have like run away. But he often said that um, the, and, and a lot of old school performers got this. You talk about performance versus improv, a lot of old school performers got this the only thing that I owe you is a good time. I don't owe you my life. I don't owe you my decisions or who I hang out with. I don't owe you a justification or an explanation for why I got divorced like 35 times and have a drug addiction. I don't, F you. I don't care. <laughs> Go away. And that is, the, that is the attitude among many old, well, was the attitude among many old school performers. I think probably, I read the other day somewhere that Dolly Parton turned down like being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She was like, "Yeah, I don't, I don't need that. Thank you, but go away. I I don't deserve it." She was very nice. She was like, "Because she's Dolly Parton. She's like, I don't deserve it." And she put like a a, a written like note on Instagram. I love people who like use the visual, <laughs> the visual mediums to write things to write narrative. I love that. That you you do that on your Instagram. That's genius. I love it because you're subverting you're subverting the entire platform that way. And so she's, like, using it like a blog or whatever. And she's like, oh, I'm Dolly Parton, and I don't want to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And thank you for this honor and goodbye. And I'm just sitting there thinking, number one, because she's, like, 75, 80, something like that. So, like, she's a throwback to that earlier era of, yeah, I'm Dolly Parton. Yes, I have. <clears throat> I am an enhanced woman, and I've been enhanced for a while, and that's not interesting. And go away. <laughs> <laughs> I just I love that I love that sense of just like go away but you know younger generations don't have that because they've been raised in the uh the abattoir of like performance so everybody's a performer now well I remember
1: you saying a few years ago along the lines of um yeah this was I mean I was either in Asheville or maybe even in Portland but mm-hmm. that's when we first reconnected. Yeah, and uh, I think we were talking about regio and and that sort of thing, oh, yeah. and and how um, and uh, you said something along the lines of like uh, YouTubers and having that access mm-hmm. um, to like the immediacy, and you can like craft your Popularity or fame, or, or, or kind oh, yeah. of curate. Excuse me, in a way, and um, uh, excuse me, and, uh, you, and, and it was great because you left it open-ended. <laughs> In a way that that I was to sort of like plug in the answer, yeah, yeah, and that's always dangerous. Yeah, that was, it always is. <laughs> and, and you said something about yeah, YouTube, and, and, uh, and I don't even so, so. I think the thing is, I don't even think you mentioned YouTube. I think you said something along the lines of like um, the like advent of social media and its access, and and uh, if those things had. Uh, it, had had come out say or the access to those things that come out when we were at Burlington County Community College. Oh yeah, you said, you know, I know what we would be doing right now. Oh, for sure, please. And Lord, and just that me. was it. And so it's always like there was no like what we would be doing. It was just like I know what we'd be doing. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, shh. Shit, what were we doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's right, but I don't know what it is.
0: <laughs> you know, we, we we we'd all have our own Netflix shows by this point. You know, staying next to Kevin Smith somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's we would again completing the circle. Just just completing the circle. But three dudes in a basement. <laughs> there you go. That's actually that's actually probably a podcast. That's the next podcast brand. Three dudes in a basement. Ah, uh, God. Well, okay. So we haven't done this in a while. So for for our listeners, <laughs> the people who are listening. Uh, they have no idea who Ryan Stout is. They have no idea what Ryan Stout's been doing, or why we're talking to Ryan Stout. So, kind of flesh out for the people <laughs> a little bit about where you came from and who you are. Tell us a little bit about your parents. I'm gonna do the, again. I'm gonna do the, the Mark Marin interview thing. So tell me about you. <clears throat> I'm gonna get real close to the mic the way he does. So tell me about your dad. <laughs> he does that NPR whisper. <laughs> Stop it, Mark.
1: <laughs> is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's um. It, it, is it developed over time it has developed over to time kind is of it? like is yeah. it like to like uh like an emotional uh it's like a. Uh, a i'm trying to think of like yeah, those uh those things that you're walking through the brush mm-hmm. and they're like you got all these sticky things on you with like little oh, burrs yeah. oh and yeah it's yeah. like to kind of like hook the
0: uh oh yeah texas the, the is listener in yeah it's ridiculous yeah. My um, kid boring. hates them. My five year old is like, get the hell out of town. I hate these things. <laughs> and he's five. He, even he knows now. He's like, no, I don't want to be stuck.
1: <laughs> this, and that's, uh, well, I can, uh, from the brief interactions that I've had with him, I mm-hmm. could I could see him saying, "Like, I don't
0: want to be stuck. No, yeah, no, I, didn't, I have I don't no to, zero interest in any of that. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> it seems, seems arbitrary and quite silly. <laughs> why, why do they do this? All right. Tell about your dad. Tell us about your dad. It's been uh, a while since we've even talked about this.
1: uh, Born and raised in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Born in 1978, January. Uh, Capricorn, for whatever that means. Uh, People seem to like it. (laughs) And um, uh, my father and mother... It's interesting. A lot of things aren't kind of revealed until you're an adult through your parents you know you yeah i mean when you're a, a kid or, or when i was a kid i'll just i'll, I'll keep it on eye statements i'll i'll, mm-hmm. I'll uh, i will uh, apply you know 20 years of being in therapy into into the <laughs> podcast because it is one of the things that i notice it is. during interviews when people and this is a real uh, potentially shitty statement to say what is it when i see people in interviews or hear people in interviews answer, answering with you 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 versus the people who answer with i statements it's like oh you've, you've you've had some uh movement towards self-actualization <laughs> and then should, or you've had a therapist who really drilled home to keep the shit on you uh, meaning I, meaning I, <laughs> <laughs> so and I didn't realize until, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, um, we lived in this, uh, apartment, which I didn't know was an apartment. It was, I thought it was just a house and, 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 it, and it was sizable and it had stairs and it was upstairs. And, but, you know, but it, you know, years later, I, I it wasn't revealed really to, uh, me mm-hmm. that my grandmother actually owned the, the house the building and i didn't know that um, jerome uh, my grandfather who my middle name is um, after <clears throat> i didn't know that uh, that he or he and my grandmother had purchased that as like a as, as, a, as a real estate not real estate' i don't know if it's real estate but it's a, as a as a as a property as a source of you know income mm-hmm. and um and it, it just made me think like oh wow like um there was
0: like a foresight there mm-hmm. and uh, yeah jerome was jerome was putting it forth <laughs> in whatever way he was putting it forth what did jerome do he was a, a an I don't think I ever uh, asked you about your grandfather. What did
1: your grandfather do? Well, he died in 1976, two years before uh, I was born, uh, of so esophageal, yeah, esophageal, esophageal cancer. Yeah, he just got cancer. Okay. And um, he was a uh, he was a, a writer, and eventually was the um, the I get whatever. The, what's the head editor? Head That's editor. A, head editor uh, of um,
0: of the editor in chief. Editor in chief of the uh, Trentonian. Oh, okay, so that's where you got the writing book from. Like, it skipped a generation and landed on you.
1: God. Back, okay. <laughs> back when the Trentonian was like <laughs> yeah. a legitimate
0: paper. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was like that was like back in the day when like you could actually get local news.
1: Yeah, they Looking they went to a, a place called Showcats, what's this bar, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and, and kind of like the beginning of uh, the Berg Chambersburg and and. And uh, my grandmother's house.
0: I believe you may have been there once. I probably was. I probably okay. was. But like, it's been like 20 years ago.
1: If not more, we're getting old, bro. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> we're old. <laughs> well, I'll keep it he... it to I'm, I'm going to keep it to I statements. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I too am older ish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was, uh, the, so, so the, the, the behind, it was a Quinton Avenue, and it was on the street behind the athletic fields of Trenton High, is where um, my uh, grandparents' house was. He, yeah, he, uh, he when World War Two went down, you know, when this the United States, made a decision to enter the war he signed up immediately
0: and but all those guys did
1: yeah and well maybe not immediately um or was was let's
0: see was the draft was only for vietnam right (sighs) draft was only for vietnam because everybody i mean pearl harbor happened to everybody just queued up like they were like forget that but like our great our grandparents and our great grandparents were different they were different people like they were farmers and stuff they were like my great grandfather was a sharecropper who had like 12 kids you know and of those 12 kids i think five or six were sons and all of them served in world war ii and it was like why are you in world war ii you're black in america and your your father's a sharecropper who could barely write his own name and he's a step away from chattel slavery and they all had the attitude and this is the attitude i was raised with as a person of color whatever the hell that means now um in america where else are we gonna go i like, think like this is this is the alamo like what like give me a break. Like, if they come over here, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> so yeah. So I'd rather play, I'd rather play away games than home games. Thank you. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, in that context, it's... Uh,
0: but it was all, it was everybody. Like, it, nobody, even the women, like, nobody, nobody didn't go do something. It wasn't like the, mo- it, it wasn't like Iraq where, like, less than 1% of the available male population um, serves, and of that less than 1%, I think it's less than half of that 1% actually went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, you have, you have multiple generations now since the end of Vietnam that just don't know, they don't know anybody who ever served in the military. Like, they have no clue, you know? Um, now there's concentrations that are higher, so, like, the South and, you know, the West, they send a lot of people into military service, a lot. Um, in the Northeast, California... You know Midwest too a, a little bit more, but the Northeast. You know, what's going from the Northeast? If, you, if, you're, if you're a 19 year old guy in New York City, you got other concerns than going to some desert shooting some guy you never heard of. Yeah, man, you so, got to influence, right? Yeah, you got to find a way to get on, be a producer or a gopher on that uh, on that Netflix show with Kevin Smith, <laughs> so you can stand next to him. I just had this vision, is like uh, it's
1: Kevin Smith, kind of like in a basement. And then, like, uh, whenever the the other person's time it's sort it of is uh, time to go full circle. They just like, they just knock on the basement yep. door, and they, oh, Kevin's like, oh, you're done. You come on, come on in, and it's just like, you know, dozens of uh, dudes and and uh, and women wearing tutus and shit with uh, makeup, and, <laughs> they're and pouty, makeup and applying
0: makeup and pouty lips yeah doing the, doing the doing the whole kim kardashian thing oh uh, yeah anyway but anyway so, that's where our culture is now so okay so grandpa went to world war ii yeah worked
1: he, for the he Trentonian. so so he wanted to be a doctor
0: oh oh okay and how ironic um, that he died of esophageal cancer then
1: he, he and he went to war and he flew bombers okay Uh, and I always thought it was pretty impressive to be a pilot, um, especially navigating a piece of machinery like that, considering, um, like if I jump too high, I'm scared of heights, you know what I mean?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and even the casualty rate of those guys was huge. It was huge because like the bombers were, I mean, you were cranking them out, but they were shoddy, particularly in the first couple of years. It got better towards the end there when we were flying over the Pacific, but even there, I think... I remember reading something one time that the casualty rate for World War II bombers over Germany or over Japan at the beginning was something like eighty percent.
1: So the the planes became the actual Oh, they uh, were death traps. Um the
0: ammunition. Yeah. Like the... <laughs> yeah. They, yeah, they were they were literal death traps. And particularly the um uh the the reason they built the B-17 Super Fortress. The reason they built that sucker was because it was big enough to not be, not need to be refueled. Um, if I remember correctly, I think it was a B-17. Yeah, it was big enough to not need to be refueled and you could fly, <clears throat> and this is why the Marines went island to island in the Pacific, because they were trying to set up, and this is gonna come back to bite us in the butt later on with Taiwan, but I'll leave that aside for a minute because we're not gonna discuss geopolitics today, <laughs> but this is gonna come back to bite us in the butt because uh, the Chinese also experienced World War II. <laughs> just from the opposite end of the spectrum. Anyway, uh, the reason we island hopped in World War II was because you needed to have landing fields and takeoff fields that were close enough for those B-17s to fly over you know, Tokyo um, and drop napalm and drop bombs and all that kind of stuff. Because again, our grandfathers were different. They didn't really care too much. Well, number one, CNN didn't exist. And number two, they didn't really care what CNN was gonna say about them anyway.
1: Canadian command, we got to get this shit done. <laughs> you got to get
0: exactly. I mean, you know,
1: <laughs> and, and the sense of, I mean, a sense of urgency, I would guess, because that was at least in like, I, like modern day era, no one had ever gotten close to the United States in Pearl oh, Harbor. Yeah. Oh and yeah, and so well, that, and that's
0: why Truman dropped the bomb. Like the numbers they gave him for Operation Olympic, like no people don't. You can Wikipedia Operation Olympic if you're interested in your listening. But like the numbers that they gave him would have dragged out the war to like 46-47. The Russians would have come in, and then then you would have you would have had like 20 years of warfare for sure. Because the Russians weren't gonna go anywhere. And they, hmm, they had two wars that they lost back to back against the Japanese in the early 19th century. Or no, not really 19th century, in the late 20th century. I'm sorry, not late 20th. (sighs) The late 19th 19th. century. Um, They lost two wars back to back. The Russo-Japanese War, number one, and Russo-Japanese War, number two. The Japanese just embarrassed them. And they were like, oh yeah, we have historical memory. We're going to work this out with you people. And so there would have been a pincher movement on Japan and Stalin, where, was it something like 30 million Soviets died repelling the Germans? He was like, Let's see what you let's see let, let's see how much we can empty out America. You all go and die. And Truman was unwilling to do that, so he's like, "Oh, we just got to drop these two experimental bombs, and they'll burn a bunch of people's faces." Experimental. <laughs> where, where do I sign up? And I, I don't want to be. I don't want to pretend like Truman was cavalier about it. I read mm-hmm. the David McCullough, read the David McCullough book about him. And Truman was a fascinating president. He was probably the last. I won't say last. Probably. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. The last genuinely decent dude who was actually trying to look out for the world order and wasn't driven by like television the way Kennedy was or just raw power the way Nixon was or being perceived as a cowboy and an actor the way Reagan was or being driven by venal political pursuits the way that every other politician has been since William Jefferson Clinton (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) moving uh. forward and yes I will go on record with that you all can come for me if you would like (laughs) and we can discuss president by president if you would like but anyway like Truman was a decent I think Truman was probably the last decent dude the dude went back to running his haberdashery like he went back to running his hat shop in St. Louis after he was president that's a
1: There's something more
2: uh,
1: admirable in that act than. Oh yeah, it r- really. It, it's it. It's like a demarcation from okay, this is a call of uh, duty in a sense mm-hmm. to this uh, public, or this um, as a public servant, mm-hmm. and when I finish my responsibilities, I will return to the thing. And so instead of like enmeshing all of the extraneous or Kind of, things that come along with being a politician, especially a, a president, you know, he's not he he didn't roll it over into charging three million dollars to give a speech at, you know, uh, a, a being porcelain, no. you know, to show them, you know, or, or this is how you run a business. <clears throat> we've been in business for since 18 like we do. We don't right. you're just you're just hiding money like it's. So yeah. So that that's and that's my 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 grandfather. Twelve successful missions. I believe you needed seventeen successful missions um, to be uh, to complete your your turn. Your Mm -hmm. your your um your, your um it's like after 17 you could be like okay you've done your duty
0: oh yeah yeah okay you know
1: and so i think t- he did 12 and then the war ended and the war ended okay
0: yeah he was probably relieved
1: and um you know he was it's interesting i, yeah, I had this conversation and, and, and with uh therapists or, or really whoever anyone i'm kind of like getting to know in a in kind of a, like a real way um because you know I, i've i've as you know i mean depression is a very real thing uh for me um and uh and and so people will comment uh it's like wow you're really well read and you're smart and blah blah blah, and this and that and uh like who was so what are your you know what are your parents or your brother and sister and we're just kind of getting to know it's like well I got from my grandfather uh, the tall, thin, and smart. Right. Uh, crippling depression <laughs> and uh, a drug and alcohol <laughs> habit that wants to sacrifice me at every and any moment. They don't read so good. Right. <laughs> but they have really nice houses and, and careers and jobs and families. Mm hmm and uh, I've live in a studio in Cincinnati so I mean what's the what's the, you know right, what's the trade-off here what's the trade-off you know and that, that might be uh, I don't know if that's like paying homage to Occam and his dang razor and mm-hmm. the reductionist uh, uh but it, it just seems I don't know that that after 44 years of being in this corporal shell it seems to make good sense <laughs> because despite my best efforts it's uh it, it, it you know I mean there's been many a, uh uh a dark night of the soul of like mm-hmm. going like what is fundamental like what is fundamentally completely broken about me that it, it is and and which m- which I am honored and glad that you scheduled and asked me to talk because, mm-hmm. uh, pretty recently there was, as I sent that text to you, yeah, there's been a, a pretty recent movement in, um, in whatever, uh, progress that is, uh, personally. Um, so, th- so my, my grandfather was a editor at Trentonian and, and, uh, and he's a beer drinker, quiet uh stoic from what my grandmother and mother have told me, like stoic to the letter and never raised his voice, but when he spoke like fucking listened and he he was um, the
0: E.F. Hutton of the family.
1: And uh and I I I I would be lying if I said I knew who that was.
0: Right. (laughs) That's okay. I know who EF Hutton is. I make, these, I make all of these cultural references on the podcast to like old things or things that I know because I have like all these random threads in my head, and it's it's, it's fine. It nobody else knows. You can, well, you can Google well, it. No, yeah, well, I'm, I gotta write <laughs> it
1: down. Me <laughs> you know I mean, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm an information lawyer.
0: Yeah, they had a great series of commercials uh, back in the day. Uh, I think they were like a financial advisory group or a bank or something like that. And the commercials basically said, you know, when E. F. Hutton talks, people listen. And then there was like silence in the commercial. It was like back in the '70s or something that these ran. Um, and that's the kind of the dynamic you're talking about there, where like, oh, blah 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 blah, blah. and then like something cuts through, this, cuts through the noise that you absolutely have to pay attention to because, you know, it's significant and important. Um, I think that was the point of that ad campaign, or it could just have been really clever David Ogilvy advertisement. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I do like that guy. I, I like know who everybody. that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think everybody knows who that is. Okay, so what did your mom? What did your, your not your mom, but your grandma? Who was, who was who was who was hooking up with this this dude and making babies with him?
1: <laughs> yeah, Olga Turlecki. My grandfather's name was Jerome Persian McCarthy, hundred percent Irish. Uh, grandma, Olga, Olga Anna Turelecky, Ukrainian, and so. Oh, oh okay. How she, like my how her mother my great grandmother got to the country was um what is happening between russia and ukraine now so wait the holomador is what was happening to precipitate my great grandmother and her husband to move to the united states oh man snap and, okay that's a snap yeah and so there was a big um to, you know, and 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 there's a disconnection from understanding. You know, obviously, uh, there was a, Oliver Stone was on um, the the Rogan experience, and mm-hmm. and um, and I think Joe said something <clears throat> about uh, America's willingness to to kind of go into war, and this mm-hmm. is something you know that I've seen. It seems obvious to me, and I'm, I'm sure. And we just talked about it, like with the the Pearl Harbor thing. It's like, yeah, because our country has never been a battleground right. in in modern weaponry.
0: Oh yeah, no. Mm-mm.
1: And so when it's like go to yeah you know, the people rally and say fuck let's kill everyone, listen that it's like well you you've never had tanks driving down the street, so you
0: may think differently if well, and and the reality is. And nobody wants to say this, but the reality is, yeah, China has a 200 million man army, but spread out across the Pacific, they can't hold a country this size. And with what we're seeing out in Russia right now, with, with, with how their supply lines have fallen apart in the Ukraine, and now they're about to get bogged down because history doesn't, <laughs> history doesn't repeat itself. It just echoes. <laughs> Welcome back to Afghanistan, my old friend. Um unless unless Putin's a, a super villain genius which I don't think he is but whatever um, and the ukrainians are a proud people so they're gonna fight they're not the Georgians they're not gonna they haven't been like crushed <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna fight they're gonna fight led by a reality show president but they're gonna fight and so you know um, the reality of geopolitics, is this, the oceans have protected us and that's just a function of geography and people like today like to throw around the word privilege white privilege or economic privilege or male privilege or whatever the hell and I, I reject all that crap I do I reject all I reject that language entirely because privilege implies that somehow you had to earn something in order to to take the benefit from it and some things are just given to you That's it. Who makes the world? Like, who makes the world? We do. And that's that. And then there's other aspects of the world that we don't make. Natural resources. I don't care how much you believe in social justice. You can't create coal. Sorry, you just can't. And you can't create oil. And you can't create geographic distances between countries. You may want to be God, but you're not there yet. (laughs) And I don't think you're going to get there so chill out with the privilege talk but anyway it, that's, that's 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 well i that
1: I, I told uh i'll tell what you said about the uh oh are you okay are you okay are you and i said yes yeah. so i talked to Hassan about that and and uh because I, I i know you and i know that you're you you call bullshit oh for sure and so i was like yeah i talked to my buddy heysan and he said um he said i'm fine just get the hell out of my way right and she goes i like him i was like yeah he's fucking awesome
0: <laughs> and so uh well andrew and, McWhorter and john andrew McWhorter and john uh or john McWhorter and andrew yang were talking about um john McWhorter's new book woke racism um on I, podcast.
1: I, I love love him
0: McWater's freaking amazing. I found him like 15 years ago and I was like, dude, where's this where's this dude been? And I'm fascinated by linguist linguistics, which, you know, makes sense with everything else that you know about me and that I know about myself. And um I was listening to him and he asked me he asked Andrew Yang on Andrew Yang's podcast, and it it struck me because this is not a question that typically gets asked. He goes, Do Asians think very much about what white people, like, do they care what white people are thinking about them? And Yang actually paused and goes, no, actually, we don't, we don't really think too much about it, like, at all. Like, it never factors into our our thinking. And McWhorter goes, that's how I need to raise my two daughters, who are like six and eight, apparently, like, to not just really care. And I thought about it myself, and I'm like, no, the way my mother raised me, the way my father raised me, the way my grandma put stuff, I don't. It doesn't really consume me. Like I'm not I'm not walking around here looking for racism underneath every like it's situation. As a matter of fact, I'm not looking for it anywhere. Uh, matter of fact, when most things happen to me, I usually attribute it to failures that I have had or things that I have not done correctly or whatever, because there's so many things that are within my power. And if I'm worried about all the things that aren't in my power, then all of a sudden, I'm letting other people run my life, and I'm well, I'm too much of a control freak. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: you 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 are you know you are happy, and 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 accept the challenge
0: of being uh, an active participant in your own life. Well, yeah, in a kirk and guardian sense, yeah, absolutely. And, and
1: and and when you do that, it's 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 it becomes almost impossible because of i mean myriad variables contributing to every movement essentially and so to link it to this to one particular thing although i'm not uh saying that uh racism and all these other social things whatever, are are are, are not existent or not contributors sure. of this and that but um there's a there's a lot going on and 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 that's you know the the boxer jack johnson Mm -hmm. like he's the watching the uh ken burns at least ken burns on him and it's like he he ignored racism
0: oh yeah he didn't care
1: and and to a level that it 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 like he He transcended that entire dynamic, and I mean, he was very much like, you know, he. It just now I'm watching it on television, and it's a blah blah blah. But I don't know, man. He was it's and 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 someone sort of uh, when I when I when I made this comment, I was I was was telling uh, we were talking about this uh, a drummer Mm -hmm. I was talking to, and I was like, yeah, man, he was just like uh, banging like rich hot Jewish broads. And like, and the dude was like, "I like how that's what you. That's how like he subverted racism was that." I was like, "Well, dude, you gotta like, you know, you either really have to know what you want, or have some big set of balls, or be free in a way that is uh, transcendent of how most people live their life." In order to even get to the point where you're engaging or uh, have an, a, a, an opportunity or uh, to, to, you know, be in the same circles as those, those people. Oh, yeah. That, that type of sort of uh, wealth. Well, like,
0: you, you have to, like, not care. Like, I don't think that, I'll name, I'll name a, a rich guy in Texas, Elon Musk. If I ever ran into Elon Musk, I'd be like, oh, that's Elon Musk. And I keep right on going because I don't, don't, he's not coming over here going, oh, that's Hazard Zarell's. I got to go run and meet him. Like, he's not doing that. He ain't never heard of me. Now, the only reason I've heard of him is because his friggin' logo is on every damn car driving around North Central Texas that's electric. But beyond that, I mean, that and a Neuralink, what else do you got for me? Oh, and PayPal. Okay, cool. But like, what else do you have for me? Like, and maybe it's a function of me graduating high school in like 1997 when like none of this was around like I'm not impressed by it because Mm -hmm. I remember when none of you were around and if I were maybe more if it were let's go a generation back if it were Steve Jobs you know who was around when I was around yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I'll go look, talk to Steve, maybe, eh, might have something. maybe, but, but even there, I'm like, eh, he's going to feed a clay, he's going to be boring, and he's going to want to talk about, like, the next, I, I don't care about the next iPod thing, I don't even like your products, like, I'm going away, and I would just slowly wander away, because I'm just not interested enough, right, like, I, I talk to people that I'm interested in you know, and I I engage with people that I'm interested in and I like some of Elon Musk's ideas. I'm glad that he's in the world. God bless him. You know, he's doing amazing things and he doesn't really need, I don't really need to pop up on his radar. Now, if he wants to hire me to work for SpaceX, I will for sure do that because I care about space (laughs) for sure. But, uh, but even then it's not going to be a sort of master slave relationship we've abandoned all of that you're gonna pay me what I'm worth and I'm worth a lot and then after you do that you're gonna listen to my advice and if you don't want to take my advice I will give you the money back and I will walk away because at the end of the day I, I the people that I need to make excuses for or that I need to justify myself to Elon Musk is not on that list neither is any other rich guy on anywhere or rich woman they're not on that list the list of people that I need to justify myself to is extremely tiny and fits on the palm of my hand to paraphrase with B'nai Brown. <laughs> fits <laughs> on the palm of my hand. And most of those people, actually all of those people are in this house. And that's it. Uh, there's, 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 uh, what are we doing here? What, we what are we doing here? Like, we're done. Like, But most people are like, uh, status and power and money and Impressions, And then that's where to full, full, full circle, you get politicians running around who've never been in a war before and don't have that list on their hand. Talking about Democrat and Republican talking about how we got to go to the Ukraine and we got to have NATO no fly zones and all this kind of nonsense. And I'm just like, give them weapons for sure. Give them support for sure. Let their refugees come here for sure. Open the door. Those are the kinds of people we want to come into to, to here. Are they going to politically vote for the way you want to vote for? Well, you know, that's the risk you run, whatever. But let them let them in because we want to make friends with the Ukraine. Uh, because the reality is if you want to hold this continent and you want to invade it, you're going have to drop nukes on us first. It's going to be nukes and clear the ground. And then you're going to have to hold it. And good luck with all of that. There are 300 million, 340 million people on this continent, on this country alone. And unless you're going to enter in from Russia, I mean from Russia, from Canada or from Mexico, which good luck with Mexico. That's a failed narco state. Yeah, <laughs> Drug dealers will cut your head off before you will be able to come in. I mean, you are able to sneak a few things in. I think there's some shenanigans going on at the southern border. We see that with fentanyl and with China. Um, but Canada... Yeah, okay. I mean, it's an empty wasteland. They won't notice you coming. We won't notice you coming anyway. You're going to have to hold and you still don't have enough people to hold the country. You just don't. And by the way, I looked up the statistics the other day. There's 6 million registered guns in the United States and there's an estimated, get this, 300 million unregistered. Everybody, stay home.
1: Yeah, stay one home. gone for everyone. Just stay home. Just Stay home.
0: <laughs> Y'all, just stay home in your own your own countries, and we'll all be friends. <laughs> yeah.
1: With that, and that, that, that's a it's a beautiful thing, and that's what you're saying about the Ukraine. Is like that's uh, the the uh, it's not
0: irrational
1: confidence, but there is no. al- like almost like. Uh,
0: it's historical understanding of who you are like this is our like dude we did this before fuck you
1: like we're not doing it again
0: correct exactly yeah you're gonna come over here and make trouble uh i'm gonna paraphrase from the movie tombstone i love that movie when uh when kurt russell with a giant freaking handlebar mustache (laughs) says to bill a fat billy bob thornton who he's beating in the bar you go right ahead you pull that smoke wagon you go right ahead, you pull that, and watch what happens. <laughs> you pull that smoke wagon. <laughs> that's right. I love that. I tell that to my kids all the time. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, getting ready to pull some knots. I was like, oh, okay, you go ahead. Pull that smoke wagon, and you watch what happens.
2: <laughs> that's but that's the attitude
0: of the people of the Ukraine. I mean, they went through the holodomor for God's sakes. Like, that's that was a holocaust that they went through in the um, in the 20s and 30s. Where the where the where the communist regime in Russia was systematically trying to destroy them. I've known people from the Ukraine. I've gone to church with people from the Ukraine. One of my good friends, he's married to a Ukrainian woman. Like they're they're proud people. They if you go through that, forget it. You're never gonna allow anybody to F with you ever again. Like you're saying. So it's done. So give them weapons, give them support. Don't have a stupid no-fly zone. Don't do that because you get American F-22s shooting down Russian MiGs and we will shoot down Russian MiGs because who else is going to patrol the skies over the Ukraine? That's World War III for sure. For sure. That's nukes coming from the sky. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do that. Uh, Let's just... uh, Let's abstain from doing that. And look... The other factor that we have to consider, and again, I mentioned that whole like less than 1% of the American male population served um, in in our most current 20 years of war making, uh, with less than half of that 1% going to Iraq and Afghanistan. Okay, that's fine. Those guys are all back. You know, the boys that I'm seeing in the Ukraine, Grozny um, and Chechnya, was a long time ago. Like you're getting you're getting commanders blown up whose last hardcore on the ground people are shooting at each other. We have to like, you know, deal with that was Chechnya. And Chechnya was almost 20, 25 years ago now. You know, you've got some 19 year old who was born when that ended, and they're in tanks getting burned. I mean, I'm sorry, kid. But they don't they just don't have ground commanders. They don't have the personnel. So military people right now are kind of watching very closely what's happening and they're they're kind of surprised by what's happening but the average 19 year old now that's in the 82nd airborne that's stationed in poland is being commanded by a guy who's like my age who was in iraq and did two tours in iraq it's going to be a totally different kind of game totally different kind of game better command and control it just comes from experience better command and control here's how you hold people together when things are falling apart, um, here's how you don't escalate a situation. Here's rules of engagement. All of that, just just better because of everything that's happened to us since nine eleven, and so that's that that's the silver lining in that deep gray cloud.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's it's one of those things that most people, I think, would say, um, uh, you know, why are you taking? uh, at some point as a military person, um, just maybe like esoteric classes or trainings and things that most people would say like, um, oh, but then you get to, it's like, well, you need to, uh, warf- warfare evolve. Everything is, is evolving simultaneously. Uh, the technology of, uh, weaponry, the technology of all these communication across the line. And it's like, well, if you don't have kind of like the academic, uh, approach, Yep. To uh, uh
0: concomitantly grow with that, then oh, and if you want to learn how to beat your enemies, you don't study the American military. If you want to learn how to beat your enemies, you study the American military's enemies. So, like, you study the North Vietnamese, you study the Taliban, you study um the Al Qaeda elements in Iraq that set traps for us in Fallujah. And we had to go in there and <laughs> we had to go in there and use tanks as door knockers. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> We're from America. We'd like to help. Like, and I'm making, I mean, I'm making a little bit of light of it. But I mean, that was actually, that was actually what happened, you know. And so, again, the experiences of that in a 43-year-old guy or a 57-year-old guy who's commanding, <clears throat> 19 to 24 year olds is radically different than the experience of a commander who is, is, is who, whose last on the ground experience was 25 years ago. And between 25 years ago and now, they've just been studying the glories of the great patriotic war and getting propaganda from Putin. It's (laughs) different you're going to come to different conclusions and you're going to make war differently, just like you would do in anything else. Just like you do on racism or raising a family or whatever, which speaking about that, we were talking about your grandma. So let's cycle back to that. <laughs> so yeah, she, she, uh, uh
1: when my grandma, my great grandmother got, uh, old, she, uh, moved in with, um, uh my my grandmother and grandfather and and the three uh the the three daughters Mm -hmm. and so um you know the I I believe my mom Sharon and and her sister Donna and her the my mother's the middle and then you know my Aunt Elaine is the oldest and and um uh Annie Lane had her own bedroom and then my mother and my Aunt Donna shared shared a bed in you know in the in one of the bedrooms and then uh when my great grandmother got ill uh, or was nearing sort of the end uh she they all believe i believe all three of them moved into one room or my annie lane i think she was like married at nineteen so it might have been mm. right around that time and
0: um so my great grandmother lived there
1: and uh so he,
0: he your grandfather lived with his mother in law yeah Okay. And
1: uh, in my it was uh my grandmother didn't work. She she made also made all of the clothes for my mother and two aunts. Nice. Um, okay. And uh, kind of like very old school in that sense. Um, everything was you know kind of like a DIY. You know, mm-hmm. and and um, and I've seen some of the dresses that my grandmother made I mean, just just beautiful beautiful craftsmanship and um and after my father passed away in 70 so in 70 my my father my was that a freudian slip yeah (laughs) something (laughs) after my uh my grandfather passed away it would have been 76 so i mean my brother was born 75 so by that time my aunt donna the youngest she was married and living in the Philippines with her husband Jimmy and my cousin Laura who was you know like one or two at the time and then uh, my mother uh, had Miles uh, in 75 me 78 and my sister uh, two and then my auntie Lane had a son David my cousin who's i think he's 50 now or 55 50 so you got a whole like
0: 50s. it's a whole thing there
1: and 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 so after that hurt my grandmother's my, my grandfather passes away uh he was a you know uh, smoked cigarettes and, and drank beer and you know and and uh and esophageal cancer or whatever and and uh and he one of the reasons he refused treatment was he had a friend or a family member or something like that that uh, had a similar uh cancerous something and and he went through the treatments and my grandfather just watched him hmm. just hate life and be more miserable as with each passing day with being you know and so he was like that's yeah, it that. you know, that's it i'm done and yeah. so and then my grandmother so so she's an empty nester and and and, uh, and so she starts working as a uh, secretary at the uh, like the the county clerk or like in downtown trenton somewhere in you know, whatever the uh, municipal buildings and she got the job through one of the neighbors uh when they were hiring and, and um and I said, uh, you know, I'll go, you know, we are looking for, uh, you know, this and that. She goes, I don't know how to type. I don't know how to, you know. And, and she's like, I've been a homemaker for, you know, my entire yeah. life. And and he's like, ah, don't worry about it. And and so, and my grandmother being, you know, uh, who she is. And, you know, uh, she said, I think I typed, you know, 17 words a minute. And uh, and just, uh, it was a horrible secretary. <laughs> And uh she said, "But you know, it was um, <laughs> maybe a more uh, conducive environment to uh, I, I believe um, you know, there wasn't this uh, sort of never ending feeling of of mobility for every person who worked in every
0: job. So oh, yeah, no."
1: So you know everyone who worked in that building, you know, give or take a few years, it, and they'd all sort of been through their husbands or wives have been through so sort of the war and like all these, and so like and, and 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 you know my my grandfather being the you know editor the, the the main newspaper whatever, and so and they, they were like you know very welcoming in, in the neighborhood and like it was a very neighborhood community thing, and so. Mm-hmm. So her being, you know, let's just say, you know, uh, serviceable at the job was kind of a welcome thing because it served on a much deeper level, something other than a paycheck. It was, and, and, you know, and she's wonderful in community settings. So it was, you know, if you have to sacrifice, you know, 25 words a minute on a typewriter for, someone who's always going to be early someone who's going to stay late someone who's going to do the job to the best of their ability and this and that granted it wasn't as big an issue then as i think it is now but but you know that and so that was um that was that was grandma and then um and she stayed in that house for like 60 years and it kind of became home base mm-hmm. so when my uh, aunt donna she just had enough of my uncle Jimmy in the Philippines. I think he was uh, I think I met him maybe once or twice. And and uh, he was probably uh, philandering around, uh, you know, the
0: island. Uh, islands. (laughs) Uncle Jimmy was was island hopping.
1: (laughs) He was. Yes. And so I think uh, one day my aunt Anna just grabbed Laura and, you know, came home and um, so donna and laura lived there for a while and then uh and then when aunt donna uh got uh reestablished and got a full-time uh gig you know working she worked at that place for like you know 50 years 40 years or whatever uh and then shortly after that my my aunt elaine uh who uh who has uh had david my oldest cousin and her husband uh was uh running around and so that what is it with the men well. in the family and uh, and so uh and so what is it
2: with
0: and, the dudes in this family and,
1: uh, <laughs> and, and so you know elaine and, and elaine and, and david lived yeah. there for a spell and then you know uh, years later when my brother um he joined the coast guard And when he came back from boot camp, he was stationed in Philadelphia and um, he lived in Trenton with my grandmother. And that was a really interesting dynamic that unfolded as a result of that. Um, But but also my grandmother knew how to sort of like, her emotional intelligence I think was uh, keen because she knew, like she treated everyone Differently, mm-hmm. in the sense that she kind of like almost intuitively knew how to handle uh, whenever, uh, you know, any of the grandchildren were sort of, uh, you know, upset or whatever. And so, so what, you know, Donna moved there and then Elaine moved there. They moved back in and then, and then, uh, and then Miles came back. And then at one point, Miles and I were both living there. Um, and then when my mother, uh she was working at saint anthony's as a f- teacher for you know 25 years the day her school closed for good was the day i od'd Got that. <clears throat> so she was at her friend she was living in bordentown new jersey mm-hmm. and you remember that apartment yeah i remember that um, yeah and so she's living in bordentown new jersey and she was at her best friend from childhood, Kathy's house around the corner, yeah, and, and born in town, and was, um, was kind of like, like, What am I gonna do? I've been the you know, teacher for this, and blah blah blah, and uh, and kind of like just you know, venting and like, yeah, like licks, licking the wounds in this way. And and so on the way home, my sister's pastor, Daryl, calls my mother and says, Um. Sharon where are you right now and she says I'm driving back to my apartment and she said well where where uh, um well, do you have some place you can go and she says well I was just came from my friend Kathy's and she said can you do me a favor can you turn around and drive back to your friend's house and like at that moment she knew mm-hmm. something something was up and and so um so she you know uh and this is great because it's sort of leading into uh, mm-hmm. yeah. something that will reveal a lot about my father, and and that will that will kind of like tie that in and and so she turns around, she goes back to Kathy's house, and um uh, and Daryl's like, you know, your son overdosed. He is uh, he's uh, stable. He's in a coma um, and can you get down here? And, uh, so she called you know, my father and they, uh, they got, uh, they flew down immediately. And, um, and I, uh, was in a coma for about a week and it was on kidney dialysis and a feeding tube and the you know, whole nine. And, um, it, it, when I come out of coma though, I see. It's like my my mother and my sister, and there was like a family friend there, and my brother, and there's another couple, you know, other people sort of in and out, and and I said, you know, and, and I I guess I didn't notice um, until like a couple days after, and be like, like wow, like like awesome. My dad's not here. That's like good. Probably wouldn't be. And I said, I think I asked where's dad? She's like, well, my mom was like, Well, you know your father. Oh, and I was my. like, Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> what's going on? she said, well he he started uh, screaming and yelling at the staff and Telling them they didn't know what they were doing, and saying that he knew what to do or something because his brother just had the exact same thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's like my mom was thinking, your brother had a like triple bypass because he's never eaten a green in his life and smokes three packs a day and drinks and eats steak for every meal. Like this is, and so um, and so he just, like, told everyone that they didn't know what they were doing and, like, everyone, like, fuck off. And then he flew back to New Jersey only to get in his car to drive right back to the hospital because... Uh,
0: with personality disorders and i this is i'm just speculating you're just speculating you're just you're, you're speculating. Just speculating shot in the dark your years of your years of therapy and counseling you're just speculating uh, there's this thing called you know narcissistic
1: supply and so sure, sure. if you have no one to uh fuel uh that uh that that gracious uh, characteristic mm-hmm. of a personality mm-hmm. then uh sort of meaning is vacant right and yeah. so you know you, you need that 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 the uh, you know you, you got to be the most important person in the room blah blah, blah. so and so um and so that is uh, and we go through a little whole a little thing there and um and
2: uh,
1: uh there was like a moment mm-hmm. that he and I had where we were, like cried a little bit in this and that and then it just went right back to like you got to get a job and i was like uh, wait what like i couldn't i could barely hear i could barely talk like this whole and so um and 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 back to i mean the big question our entire life is uh from him from a, a single digit age up until you know Like today is uh, what have I ever done in your life that's been so wrong, and like if you ever go to answer, it's like, well, you're wrong. If I were you, I would have said, you know, right? So yeah, and so um, and so I I, so I'm I'm like I'm literally uh, a day or two out of a coma, brain damage, you know, moderate brain damage, and um, and he asked that question and uh and so so sometime time. well i'll come back to so it's time for me to check out of the hospital and um my mother's friend from high school donna um they her and uh, some high school friends meet up every uh, christmas to kind of like catch up or everything you know and um Donna says, you know, Sharon, what, what's going on? She says, well, believe it or not, Ryan's in the hospital with even and the snap, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, we're, I'm trying to figure out, he doesn't want to go back to Jersey. And I'm trying to figure out, and Donna's a social worker for like 25 years. He's like, do not let him step foot out of the hospital. Do not go against medical advice. If you do so, and anything happens to your son from the time you leave to whatever happened, like the accident, like if he falls and gets hurt and needs hospitals, nobody will take him because of the AMA against mm-hmm. medical advice. And so uh, uh, divine intervention, whatever you want to say, uh, her husband, Al. Um, and Dr. L. Amandalara is one of the, he's on the board at St. Lawrence Rehab Facility, like six miles or seven miles from my grandmother's house where I'll be moving back to in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. so I am admitted immediately into the traumatic brain unit at uh, Saint Lawrence rehab facility, and it wasn't until years later that I put together. I mean, it was like eight years later, and I was like, kind of re- recounting and, and, and going through all these things because when I OD'd, I mean, I kept some of those hospital papers. It was like, oh, you're, because I was thrown in a tub of ice to right. be, you know, you know, uh, icicled, uh, alive, and uh, my temperature went down to like, you know, ninety three. Mm-hmm. degrees or whatever and my, my heart rate went down to like 20 beats a minute and my blood pressure was like i don't know 60 over 20 or 40 or whatever and so uh I, I wanted to keep like as a reminder you know and um and so i was thinking about it and and i asked for my my mother uh for for al and and, and uh, Donna's number. To call and it may have been like on I was you know celebrating like maybe five mm. years of sobriety or something like that. And and uh just to thank them and and shortly, you know, I I, I was like like I never got a fucking bill for that. So you know, whatever you know, paid. So so I'm Someone guessing paid. I'm guessing Al, you know. Yeah. Being the, you know, I mean, it 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 may very well have come out of their pockets, right?
0: Yeah, that's yeah. you know, yeah, and um, well, and, well, walk me through or walk us through because yeah. you kind of skipped over a whole chunk there. You went right from grandma <laughs> directly to hey, I OD'd. uh <laughs> so There's there's a lot in there. Walk us briefly through, um, and there's a lot you're gonna have to like compress into like. Mm. Uh, some moments here, but um, walk us briefly through the whole like. Well, no, I'll frame it this way. Um, people use all kinds of different drugs for all kinds of things. Um, what was that line from? Uh, what the hell was that movie back in the day? Not Train Spotting, the other drug movie that was good with Jennifer Connolly. Uh, you know Requiem for talking. a Dream. There we go. Requiem for I, a Dream, dude. I've
1: seen that one. Wa- I will never watch the movie again.
0: It's it's too close to. Y'all, I can't. I I, I watched. It's not movies, too close, that, dude. That's, that's that's that's. they can't. I can't look at it. I <laughs> can't look at it. <laughs> but like the mom in there, you know, she's she's you know on her drug of choice, you know, which is TV and speed. Everybody's got their drug of choice. Some people get off on their own sensory perceptions. Some people get off on their own ego and narcissism. Uh, Some people get off on sounding smart, Uh, (laughs) you know, whatever. Everybody's got their own drug. Everybody's got the thing that makes the dopamine uh, receptors in their brain go click, click. Uh, Increasingly, we have people addicted to social media um, and social media is is a dopamine inducing machine. Let's just watch one more TikTok. Let's just send out one more tweet because I get off on getting people mad at me and the the rush that that gets or, you know, let's watch one more YouTube video or whatever, right? Netflix binge, binge watching is just another form of addiction. That's just, that's all it is. So addiction is not it's not interesting to me from a, from a from a perspective of we should ban this or we should ban that like i, I don't care about that to me that's it's, it's it's in, like, in, to it's, me that's infantile
1: it's more it's it's more about it's exactly. more to it like a spiritual absence yeah. than than yeah. gabor mate uh does uh has written uh Several books, and 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 uh, he has uh, he's he's on a ton of uh, you know he's been on Tim Ferriss's podcast talking about this very thing, and he speaks very eloquently about all of these um, uh, 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 about the I guess misconceptions and kind of dated um, the evaluation of the dated information about
0: addiction, right, and, and so. And- Walk yeah. us through your experience I'm sure it started young.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, um, the, the, it's, it is, it is a pretty fascinating thing. And I've always wondered how valid this is. Um, and just because you hear, um, a validation, in a sense, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, it doesn't necessarily mean that the information, uh, just because it's shared, is accurate. It could be a, like an, um, there could be a groupthink, there could be kind of an auto-suggestion, um, because... You know, for for most people, you know, we, we we like patterns and we want things to make sense. Right. Yeah. And um which is why I love Albert Camus so much, because uh absurdism and,
0: and the whole it's you know that's a different thing. And so um, the world is both chaos and order. Just that's what I would tell Camus. It's both. It's not one or the other. <laughs> Well, and when well, that's the thing. And then I would just walk away from him and let him smoke his cigarettes. Well, I
1: that, that's I, I, would, I think he would his response would be like, it is both. You know, I don't think he would. Uh, I think he's very welcoming to sort of at least yeah. that's my kind of like perception of his. It's a very laissez-faire sort of uh, oh, a, yeah. uh, and 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 so. I told you about the, 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 the father thing there was that yeah. dynamic and, and, and I would say uh, kind of the impetus for a lot of that insecurity and those feelings, uh, you know, because here you go, feelings. Feelings feels like, you know, I love, I love you know, feelings aren't facts, fuck them. And, and so, but it doesn't, it's uh, my, my friend Michael Mitchell said years ago, he was like, yeah, fear of economic insecurity may have left, but it doesn't fucking make it not real. Right. Like, I still need money. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, acceptance is you know, a part of it. You know, the solution isn't acceptance because otherwise you just go, ah, OK, yeah, great, whatever. Uh, and and so uh, i I remember so there's an element of the confluence of needing to put on some sort of presentation uh, the uh, the aforementioned uh, intelligent look smart type situation um, elements of formative years of being a teenager and being welcomed into say a group that, I thought was cool. And was um, at the baseball. And so yeah, there was so my freshman year, I primarily hung out with all of my friend, my brother's friends. He was a mm. senior, I was a freshman. And so I quickly became good friends with uh, people who were 17, 18 years old when I was, you know, 14, 15. Yeah. And um, and that trend really continued because I have lots of friends who are in their late 40s and 50s now and and even friends in their 60s and 70s and so um so it's my sophomore year and joe meerherter who's uh all-state soccer player and danny Baylog who is a baseball player and soccer play athletes they were both like in the top 10 of the class and this and that and and uh and so we go to uh we get after practice we 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 walk to Pathmark, which is a you know 24-hour uh, oh, yeah. grocery store a block from my place in, in Hamilton, my, my my parents' place in Hamilton. Uh, we wait for Joe's mother, who is a pharmacist, to get off work. Joe walks around the store, and he's like, we, we're going to pick up some lemons. And so it's this uh, 15-year-old kid walking around with a, a bag of lemons. We get the lemons. We get in his, his mother's van, and we go back to Joe's house. It was a Friday night. and It was in uh, uh, early October, late September and uh we were doing shots of tequila so this was my introduction to alcohol yeah. and so up until then i was like very dogmatic in uh in in any in, in really in any nefarious behavior you know mm-hmm. it was like if i didn't walk the i was hell i was going to hell i'm going to hell yeah, yeah. the fear of catholicism ah, and okay. so and so uh we're sitting at joe's and all
0: right, straight so, edge before it was straight edge straight edge before it was cool
1: and, uh, yeah, and I just didn't, uh, no, you know, I was, like, very, like, and and uh, and so we're doing shots of tequila. Lick it, slam it, suck it. Lick it, slam it, suck it. After about the three, the third shot of uh, tequila, I remember going into the bathroom to, to pee and looking in the mirror and how foretelling this is. I look in the mirror I look myself in the eyes. And, like, until then, it was just, like, this this, like, Uh, this, like, vibrating insecurity or anxiety that was just coursing through me at all times and whatever. And, like, I just remember looking myself in the eyes in the mirror and going, dude, this is what you're going to do. And, like, and that was it. Like, it solved all of my problems. And, like, I stayed drunk basically from 15 to 26. And then a lot, but I had to maintain the thing, always on the honor roll, uh, uh all county baseball uh like all the things you know uh varsity basketball player uh baseball play you know just like doing all the things and never and high, like living that sort of like dual life but i mean by the time i was like 16 or late 16 i had already been you know uh, consuming whatever I could within reason you know uh, pharmaceuticals uh benzodiazepines mm-hmm. uh xanax Valium, uh painkillers Vicodin, sets uh i think 16 uh, new year's eve of 16 years old was the first time i did blow and um okay. and it was uh and, like i didn't want anything to go in my lungs so like smoking weed yeah. i was like no i was like that's bad for i'm an athlete like right. i don't drink soda because <laughs> it's bad for you and i don't let smoke come into my lungs because i'm an athlete and i'm better than that i look down upon anyone who does Right, those sorts of things, (laughs) (laughs) and so that you know, I mean, I started doing LSD at 16 years old, and I mean, just to kind of run through the gamut of all you know, um, uh, I mean, when it was all like. By the time I was, uh, say like 22, 23. Uh, I mean, I was, I was out of my mind and you
0: knew. Oh yeah. By the time I me, ran into you. Yeah. It was, uh, and,
1: and, and, I was still, I wasn't necessarily, well, that's not even true. I mean, uh, I, I wasn't, on, I was say I wasn't on any hard drugs when we met, but I mean, there was,
0: Oh, for sure. You were, there
1: was many times where oh, I sure. was at Burlington yeah. on heroin or, or oh, yeah. like, and, uh, and so, but, but kind of like the the last three years um, and really even to that, I mean, and it, like hundreds of hits of LSD, hundreds of pills of ecstasy, you know, just like, oh, just, uh, just a complete monster. And, um, and while well, maintaining a daily drinking habit and, you know, uh, and and probably the last several years, just for like a maintenance purpose, was, was smoking pot all the time, and and also those like last three years, um, sort of intermittent, you know, uh, IV heroin use and and smoking crack on a pre like I smoke crack on my leisure time, you know, it was like. It was, it was like an act. It was like, do you want to, no, I play basketball on Tuesdays, you know, like that was like, yeah, that was, it was like the equivalent of that. It's like, I have this intramural thing I got to do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can't. uh, Yeah. (laughs) And and,
1: and so, um, and so it was, uh, I I mean, I had this conversation last night with someone, there was always an intent and a purpose behind it outside of like that feeling of insecurity, uh, the, the predisposition of, um, some mental health issues like depression or mm-hmm. ocd and and um you know not getting diagnosed to, to add or ed AD, whatever that is until i was like 40 something years old and yeah. um and so the the underlying pre-existing conditions uh and having many a conversation with many a therapist and many a doctors like yeah, like it, all of this stuff sort of always existed in you because we did a very detailed history of my childhood and blah, 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 and feelings and all that stuff. And and it's like, yeah, dude, this is you, you know, the self-medication aspect of, you know. So there was that element. And there was also an element of like, I want answers. What right. answers? This doesn't make any sense. Like you walk into a situation, see the like the flaws and hypocrisy in people's demeanor, behaviors, and words uh almost immediately and it's like well this doesn't like this isn't this doesn't match up this doesn't make good sense and so there was like an element of that as well so like looking for answers and seeking and and that sort of thing until um you know the uh, essentially the 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 amorphous indefinable uh pain of 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 whatever was driving uh my existence and by that time it was so uh chemically necessary that it's difficult to seize out the nurser the nature uh, uh the yeah
2: uh nurture well, versus nature aspect nature. of it
1: and yeah and so um it really like the so so leading into the uh you know I there was this lab this last bender that happened before i moved out to north carolina Odeed was uh, I had a friend who was, had tickets to uh, Bonnaroo, and they were like, yeah, we're going right to Winnebago, and blah, blah, blah. You want to go? And I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this shit, and all psyched. And in the uh, meantime, uh, Holly and I, we had broken up because we'd planned to, uh, sh- you know, she moved to uh, – she traveled the world for like a year and taught mm-hmm. English and lived in East Timor and worked on a thing in Australia, and this now we were planning on doing it together, but I couldn't get off heroin. So yeah. you can't really go to like Australia with a heroin <laughs> habit you know uh doesn't quite hey, work hey bingo! do you have uh any you know bags of fucking 187 or dirty dick and and uh and that's uh and, and so um that's it so so uh, so i'm in and it's this bonnaroo weekend or whatever and and uh and i cancel that because i get an invitation to a friend's wedding and, and you know, i went to high school with and and uh, so that 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 uh, kept me from getting tickets to that festival. And so I was like, all right. So and at this time I was painting, and I had this gig down. I was painting down at Seaside, and painting this whole house. I had a lot of jobs, getting a lot of money, and I was also working at a liquor store, mm-hmm. um,
0: which is always a good that's combo, a good, that's, a good uh, that's good that's good for for a person who's like uh, who's like addicted to alcohol <laughs> let's go work on a liquor store that seems that
1: seems and i uh, think this time uh, like, uh,
0: this seems uh, like wisdom I,
1: I, 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 well, And it's funny because at <laughs> this time too i was like i was like hey i wanted answers i wanted i wanted solutions like i was i was like i think it was vegetarian for a while i was like because it was like a healthier route and meanwhile I was you know uh shooting heroin every day and so like <laughs> and so there's there's always this like weird sort of like the irony of walking into a room and seeing the hypocrisy and then also in but, but does that go back
0: to does that go back to and I don't know this is probably an insight you yeah. probably've already gotten to like in your in your experiences yeah. but i'm I'm kind of putting together some things now does that go back to the whole the whole like i was I was straight edge mainline dogmatic and then like you know, I did the shots and like that's when my that's when my stuff split. And I was like, this is how you're going to handle that. Because the dogmatic part is the vegetarianism. The how you're going to handle it is the heroin and working in the liquor store. Is that where those two things overlap? Uh, pos- possibly. Okay, I mean, yeah. right. I'm just, that's, I'm that's just a good, It's a great I
1: question. Know. I've never I thought know. of it. But very much like... Because Uh, to be a
0: vegetarian, to be a real, legit vegetarian, requires you to have a level of commitment that's almost religious. It is almost a religious. I am very disciplined. (laughs) (laughs) Right, even in when I need (laughs) when you need to be. Well, no, well, I mean, even in describing like how you oriented your drug use, and even in knowing what I knew about you when, when we first met, like that's disciplined and regimented. Like, that's not that That part is a, I would say, a net positive when, again, oriented towards things that are positive and behaviorally speaking, and be, is behaviorally a character, speaking. A potentially Correct. positive characteristic. Absolutely. Um, and of course, you have to look at outcomes and consequences and behavior and all those things. Like I'm not taking away any of that. I'm saying, yes, you have to look at all of that. And that through line hasn't really, it doesn't really go anywhere. Like, it, it it's still there, you know. It I, just pops um, out. It just manifests in a bunch of different spots. Yeah, well, it's.
1: It, I, I think it's like that
0: because you were you were on time, but you were like on time every day to go to work at the liquor store, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah. yeah. They, I mean, you know, I did. I don't. did a shot. I showed up early. I stayed late. Yeah. Like it was never a work ethic, like, no. ethic thing, you know. No.
0: It's that ding. That's the, the vegetarianism, and then, <laughs> you're going to be on time, and you're going to get some one eight seven and some dirty dick. and you're going to go have a good time, you know, later on.
1: Well, because if you take the leg of discipline off that tripod, you just fucking fall on the ground. You know <laughs> right. what I mean? Like it, there oh, has yeah, for to be, sure. a, yeah. you know. And and so it it just um, so. But to answer the question about the the dogmatic and the regimen, so there was uh, and where it went from like a, a straight edge, this sort of thing. And I didn't necessarily think of it as straight edge, but also when you're you know, a, a kid, uh, or like I was 13, 14, 15, I don't really think kind of in those terms, but I understand, yeah. um, kind yeah. of the like the motivational factor behind it. There, there's, there's sort of similar, um, uh, uh, in, uh, um, the crux of the, uh, yeah. uh, of the matter is similar, and so it shares that. So, but like. Chappelle's bit in killing them softly when the cop his white friend is driving and oh, he's yeah. in the passenger seat <laughs> yeah. and they're stoned yes. and he like either blows through a red light or speeds along on this man and the cop pulls him over and uh and what dave is blown away by is. He's like, I'm a black man. I would never, this would never even enter my mind to Oh say. yeah, he shakes
0: the cop's hand at the end of the bit. He <laughs> the says, uh, goes,
1: he goes uh, <laughs> the white guy goes, he goes, well you know you were speeding and you did this and that and whatever and, and the, the, his white friend, the guy driving goes, oh I didn't know you couldn't do that. <laughs> and it's very similar <laughs> yeah. to the, the Going from, going from nothing to like, to, like oh yeah. i didn't know you could, like you could do this and like become like and maintain the the grades or the this or the that you know yeah. what i mean like it like that was the the thing and i did i didn't know what was um you know i and it really it, it really it, it it fucked with um baseball a lot because no longer could i differentiate if i liked the game Mm -hmm. if i was playing for myself uh if this was something that i was uh it's just so weird, like forced into because of my father Mm -hmm. uh and then pretty quickly because i was very good
0: oh yeah so i remember um, the uh the the invitational softball thing that we put together (laughs) That was, that was freaking. that was one of the, other than the jazz festival I recently just crushed, like that's probably one of like the top. Is that what the images were? Uh, uh, Five or 10 things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. We, we got like 1100 people to show up.
1: And so, um, and, and so I didn't know, uh, you know, I couldn't, I, I didn't. Everything it, it it muddied everything between yeah. the familial dynamic of the father, uh the drugs and alcohol, and uh it, it and, and how it my father my father was an amazing baseball coach, actually to the day, like he's the best baseball coach I've ever had. Um mm-hmm. But in the same sense, the narcissistic yeah. like I he very much saw me as an extension of himself. of himself yeah and i was uh notably better than he ever was yeah and so when he saw me be successful at this mm-hmm. he absorbed it as his own success right as look what i did to you know like Bring he was this swinging into a the fucking world. bat you know yeah, yeah 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 and uh and so but, yeah, I mean.
0: Well, it's, uh, very, it's a very hard thing. I can talk about this as a parent a little bit. It, it, it's very hard. It's... You have to be very clear on where you end and your children begin. You just have to be very clear on that. And, you know, you can protect your children. You can... Uh, well, no I, I, no, I fundamentally believe you are called. If you are going to have children, you are called to protect them. That's the whole point of it. Um, and by the way, protect them in many cases from you. <laughs> you meaning me. the parent. You meaning you, the parent, right? Yeah, yeah you know, you're, you're you're called to establish a relationship with them that allows them to become the best part of themselves that they can become. And when that occurs... And as that occurs, as they mature over the course of time, and they discover more things, and they become more adept, your job is to get the hell out of their way and let them become the thing that they are going to become. Is this going to be always be a thing that you agree with? No. More likely than not, it's going to be a thing that you're going to be like, "That's oh, not something I would have chosen." Yeah, that's right, because you're not them. And it's really easy to say that, you know, on a podcast interview in in principle. It, the emotional part of that is the hard part in practice and you know, you know, you watch, I do, I watch parents and I worked in higher education for 20 years, you know, I'm I'm on the back, I'm on the, the, I'm nine years on the back end of a higher education career and like you watch parents all the time come in and they are, they're living their lives through their kids. Um, and this is where you get at the extreme end helicopter parenting, which is ridiculous. But then at the at the non-extreme end or at the other extreme end, I should say, you get the parent who's just like, Yeah, I'm gonna be up your stuff. Asian tiger mom, and I'm I'm not being racist with that. That's how they refer to themselves. Asian tiger mom, you know, up you all the time. You're gonna learn how to play piano. And at a certain point it's just like whack-a-mole with a human being. <laughs> and you're not gonna get every mole. You're just you're just not. And so I don't know I would be loath to say that I know how to raise a child I, I wouldn't say that it's it's a work in progress and like there's an incident and I'm not gonna get into it today but like we're working through some stuff with my five year old right now <clears throat> there's a certain behaviors he's exhibiting that like if he doesn't get a hold of them he won't be able to play well with others and be invited to play and being invited to play the game is more important then either how he plays it, although that's second important, but being invited to play is first important, then how you t- decide to play the game is, is also important. And considerations of whether or not you win or lose should be tertiary or just non-existent. But he's five, and he's hyper-competitive. So he's driven, and he gets real frustrated real easily, and that comes from me. He gets real frustrated real easily when it's not right the first time. So he's got all those dynamics and I see all of that because it's in myself and increasingly it comes to me. I have to protect him. My job is to protect him from becoming me, to allow him to become himself. So what that means is I may have to yank his chain a little bit <laughs> in, a, in a loving way and always tell him I love him afterward, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yank your chain. Like something, I something happened last night and he was like, that makes me sad, daddy. And you want to give me a hug? And I was like, I know that makes you sad and I'm sorry it makes you sad but this is not a hugging moment. We'll hug later, but this is not the hugging moment. Right now, I need you to feel the sadness so that you'll remember things. (laughs) And then I gave him a hug (laughs) because I need you to remember this too. And that's a fine line because I would, my 11-year-old, totally different freaking person. Like she's submarines. (sighs) Goes all the way down to the basement. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and she'll just look at you. <laughs> and you can see it in her eyes. you can see the ship just go pew. she just parks on the bottom and just hangs out there for a week. It's <laughs> just cogitating. I mean, I can't get anything. Whereas my 16 year old is a lot more like me. she's gonna fight. She's a lot more like me, she can get up in your face. she's gonna fight, she's gonna like battle, she's gonna brawl. she's gonna do all of that because she likes to be right and she's you know, she's a dominant individual and she's going to th- she's going to thrust herself on the world. God help anybody who runs into her. <laughs> and at a certain point, like my 16-year-old is looking at colleges now, you got to just be like I've done everything I can and now I will frame it as a person of faith give them to god. god god take care of them <laughs> you know you continue to pray for them but god take care of them because now they've got to make decisions on their own they've got to come into their own their own being um and with that being said you know i, I wonder very often you talk about your father and i have a thing with fathers and sons i wonder very often because i do believe that our souls go somewhere and we can you know that's an existential discussion for another time, but I do believe our souls go somewhere after this. I don't believe it just ends. Um, and if fundamentally I'm wrong, I don't lose anything. And if fundamentally I'm right, well, I gain everything. So I'm willing to take Pascal's wager. <laughs> 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 I'm willing. I'm willing to take the. I'm willing to take the, the upside. Or if you're Sam Harris, the downside on that bet, I'll take it. <laughs> <Poor> <laughs> Sam it. Doesn't hurt me none, Sam. <laughs> 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 Tell you what, you make your bet. I'll make my bet and then we'll see each other in the clearing at the end of the path. Or maybe we won't. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I do fundamentally believe that that is something that particularly men will be called to account for. Like I think I think at a certain point your father, not maybe not here, but someplace else will be called to account for that. I don't think you just get away with, with that because that's a yeah. lot of responsibility right there, a lot of accountability right there. Not necessarily for your decisions, not not saying that, Mm -hmm. nor necessarily for your actions, not even saying that. It's accountability for setting up the dominoes that fell in a certain order. And everybody's life pinballs off of everybody else's life. Uh, We are not islands, even though we are individuals, but we are not islands. We do impact other people. And, you know, at a certain point, you are going to be called to account for that. Um, and if it's a fear motivator that causes you to like be a better person, fine, take it as a fear motivator. I, I look at it as a love motivator rather than a fear motivator. But not love and sort of like the touchy-feely, I'm going to give you a hug kind of sense. It's more like love and the empathy and compa- compassion enough, I'll frame it this way, compassion enough to see you as a human being and compassion enough to uh, give you a hug and also compassionate enough to show you mercy and compassionate enough to discipline you when you screw up. And that's all very, very fine lines and it's all very individualistic and I'm not giving parenting advice. I'm not talking about what other people should do with their lives or what other people should do with their kids. I'm just saying, this is something that I've observed. And I see it in the in the story that you just the, the what you've just related to us about your experience. I
1: mean, the, 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 what you just said about a uh, five-year-old yeah, it's Elijah. Uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Why, why do I always say Elijah. I mean, wrong, wrong, wrong. Bi- uh, Bi- wrong, oh, biblical b- wrong biblical. Wrong <laughs> biblical. It's, it's okay. So, Elijah,
0: um, Elijah had good prophet smack. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. <laughs> so like that, oh, Elijah that, did. There's a great story in the Bible where he like, he like basically, he basically talks smack to the prophets of Baal, and he like they like flog themselves all day and trying to get a stone to light on fire. And he's like, he actually says to them, "Maybe your God is asleep. Maybe you should yell louder." <laughs> and that's some like that's some like cold Old Testament <laughs> prophet stuff.
1: Is that the? Is that trolling? Is that like? The, oh, that's, the first, that's an early form of trolling. Troll. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: the first troll. And then like he walks up and like he wets the rocks and he's like, "Oh, you want to pour a bucket of water on there? No, no, no. Pour like five on there. <laughs> Watch this." <laughs> <laughs> and then he prays one prayer and the fire comes out of the sky kind of like in the in the in the um in the 10 commandments fire comes out of the sky licks up the stone licks up the water as it's described in the bible licks up the stone licks up the water licks up the sand burns and chars everything and then all of a sudden the prophets of baal had nothing to say and he goes and he drops the mic and leaves mic drop now, yeah mic drop yeah now now much later on he uh, he gets a woman irritated at him, a woman named Jezebel, and then he goes and hides in a cave somewhere. But that's another thing for another day.
1: <laughs> yeah, you gotta be careful with those Jezebels.
0: <clears throat> well, you just you gotta be careful of talking smack because eventually God's <laughs> gonna be like, "Okay, you you, you sure you got that?" And here's a little something else.
1: <laughs> but it's, but the, the, the interaction he just described with Jeremiah, like that is, I mean, in the. Uh, I never like had one interaction, mm-hmm. even a fraction of that, sort of considerate
0: mm-hmm. with my father. Yeah. Uh and that's it, where the it, accountability part comes in. Like that's that's what I believe that's what I believe uh men, again, men in particular, will be held to account for.
1: Yeah, I don't know fr- where, I don't know
0: when, but I I, I firmly believe that.
1: Yeah, my, my, my friend Matthew, uh you know, he uh well, he he says all the time, you know, uh, if you cheat, you can't win. You know. There you go. And um. And um. Oh man, I think it was going to be a father thing, but whatever. Um,
0: well, and, and you know, I'm my, like my father. My relationship with my father was. what it was um and you know there are uh, there are dynamics there from various behaviors um that have lasted with me throughout my entire life and that is none of a lot of those behaviors have not been necessarily always positive you know and so you know, I think I finally saw my parents as people, just human beings, when I probably when I turned 30. I was like, oh, and they're not gods. They're not on Mount Rushmore. They're just like, they're just people. They're just making decisions. And, you know, I, I go back to the, the Old Testament, <laughs> again, the Old Testament, the Old Testament admonition to um, honor your father and your mother. And it doesn't say like them. It <laughs> doesn't say agree with them. It doesn't even say respect them or love them. <laughs> it just says honor them. And that word honor <clears throat> is loaded mm-hmm. particularly in our Western culture and in our as is many as many folks have noted other than me, post-Christian culture, uh, I would call it a, I would call it a revert back to mean of a pagan culture, which is fine. Uh, I guess if that's what we want to do as a civilization, I guess that's where we're going to go. Uh, not to say that I won't have something to say about that, but I guess that's where we're going to go. Okay. Um, but if we honor our parents, honor doesn't mean we have to love them or like them or respect them. It means something else. It means something at a higher level. But it also is biblical, and this is in the New Testament, that <clears throat> you know parents are called, particularly fathers are called to not vex their, their their sons and daughters. Don't vex your kids. I think that's a good admonition, um, but it took like 2,000 years to get you, to get there. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a worthwhile admonition. Honor your parents, absolutely, because that's the one end of the relationship. But then the other end of the relationship is don't set up your children for failure. Don't vex them. And And, and who has the more weight in that situation? Who has the more responsibility there? Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's 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 complicated, and you know we live in a culture where uh, there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity, which is another term like privilege that I roundly reject because a I don't know what it means, and b um, when you're talking about masculinity, you're always defining it against something else like femininity or the feminine, um, and. That's another one of those, like that. that that's yeah,
1: masculinity like, means uh sort of aggression, war, like the more the more sort of like, and then feminine is, uh you know, uh, uh, beauty, uh, nurturing, soft, you like, know, sure. blah blah blah. And yeah, and yeah. so that doesn't, but that doesn't, doesn't. You're taking two things and conflating them. You're making, you're cherry picking. Things. Well, and it's, it's
0: it's a Jungian conception. Dare I go to Carl Jung? You talk about Freudian. Let me go, let me go Jungian. It's a Jungian conception of that that is kind of not serviceable in the real world where we all live. So, you know, um, if I am married or if I'm in a relationship, but let's, let's go to marry just for the sake of whatever. If I'm married to somebody, my biggest negotiations are going to be with that person. And like, those are the ones that I have to establish and maintain based on both of our strengths and, and, and shore up and support so that both of our weaknesses are, are addressed, not necessarily by each other, but that they are both addressed and we have the space to address them. Like my wife can't fix my weaknesses. Just like i can't fix my aware, wife's awareness right awareness aware,
1: yeah. if there's if there's if there's awareness and um so when it's ha- like in real time if those like uh, that thing is happening mm. it, you, you 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 know you throwing it back in one's face if they know it is a weakness that they are working on from the person who you're like that doesn't it's 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 uh, counterproductive and it's just just if there wasn't a rift it's there is now and so you're repairing the rift on top of addressing the thing that you are aware
0: and the other person is aware of as a weakness and so it's like i i it's not a principle that we have but it is a way that we have argued, like my wife and I get arguments. we arguments, we, 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 we discuss things vigorously, <laughs> we have vigorous fellowship,
2: <laughs> such as it were, <laughs>
0: and when we have vigorous fellowship, I do try to make an effort to keep it focused on whatever the topic is at hand, because the temptation is to go, well, you've always been this, and then that's just... <laughs> That's just creating a no-fly zone. <laughs> and then she Yeah, well you her... did this once. And it's like, wait, right. what? Right. And then the F-22s are going to come out. She doesn't have Mig, she's got F-22s. Mm-hmm. And they've got uh, <laughs> they have got nuclear tipped <laughs> yeah. yeah, uh nuclear tipped missiles. And then you got to escalate and then it's just it's just a mess. And so it's not it's not not having conflict. It's having conflict in a smart way. And if you know, people have to figure out how to be married to each other before they can start bringing kids into the world. You know, that's, that's, that's critical. And you said, you know, you you said your aunt or your aunts got married when she was like 19. And I think in previous generations where people had, had fewer options for shenanigans, like you, you talked about going from tequila to, you know, all these other kinds of drugs in the space of, you know, a decade, right? That's options like you had you had options you had a massive level of just a pharmacopoeia of options that just opened up right whereas if you had been around let's say in the 1950s your options are limited it's weed maybe if you can get it uh, there's heroin floating around but it's not it's not at scale like you really got to go hunt for it so you've got beer and cigarettes
1: yeah and and i mean i mean coke Pain was really still. I mean, it was, a, but it was more of a pharmac. It, it was more. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it, well,
0: it, the drug laws that came out of the early twentieth century were designed to limit. Well, they were designed to do two things. Number one, they were designed to keep black men from raping white women in the South. That was the primary thing. That's what all the Southern senators and Southern representatives voted for, removing Coca removing cocaine from Coca-Cola. Okay, fine, whatever, because of D.W. Griffith's birth of a nation. They, they bought into that whole myth. Yeah, okay, great. Not the last time, by the way, that pop culture influenced public policy. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> but, okay, so let's just take that out let's just take that out of the frame for, frame for just a minute. But you've got that dynamic. But um, the other place where it popped up was in medicinal. Um, so things like toothpaste and powders and things like aspirin. I mean, all that kind of stuff early. But then over the course of time, people were like, well, it's illegal. Or not people, corporations were like, well, it's illegal. So rather than go through all that hassle, we'll just make this alternative thing here. Um, and you can call that Protestant infantilization of the public or whatever, but that was the move that they, 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 they went the direction they went down.
1: Well, it, when you can, or, you know, and this is, this is a, a, a money business savvy. Uh, so, so, so heroin was initially synthesized by Bayer. Mm-hmm. To give to alcoholics to get them off alcohol.
0: Okay, that I did not know, but that makes sense. And and so that's like opioids.
1: (laughs) And so you (laughs) have, I mean, if you look at early, uh, you know, eighteen hundred Sears catalogs, Mm -hmm. uh, you you get, uh, and it was marketed to the wives of farmers in the Midwest. So you have these massive. Farms uh, and, and, and like agricultural um, uh, f- fields, and and you have the woman at home, and uh, when the when the kids have left the building, they're on the f- right. they're on the I mean they're on the farm at what like six eight ten, and so so you have a, and so they're marketed to these uh, housewives of farmers, right, and now like it was one of the sort of most surreal things is kind of doing the history on these things it's like so you could through the Sears catalog for like 18 cents you could yeah. have uh, you could have a needle you could have well you could have a a a plunger mm-hmm. with replacement needles
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like uh and uh i don't know if it's, it doesn't matter i don't know if it's uh, i think it was either opium or heroin delivered to your house and it was like huh. Uh, husbands on the farm, home alone, uh, stressed because of X, Y, and Z, uh, blah, 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 have some heroin. And so it's like, and so now, so I I had this like moment of clarity years ago and we have all this, you know, it's like the Tom Segura bit. And he's like, yeah, you just draw a circle around the middle of the country. And it's like, do we really (laughs) need this? And so. (laughs) <laughs> you think about like the uh the evolution of uh
0: those particular societies well and there's another dynamic you have to consider though we also had and this is always misremembered or more forgotten because we again we live in an era where the guardrails have been pulled out and they're way the hell over in the field somewhere we had active guardrails then no matter what you want to think about it, whether those guardrails were right or wrong is another thing over here. We actually had active guardrails back then. So now are you
1: talking in the sense of like someone, like a beat cop? No, no. I'm, well, like that's a, to, that's you, a, that, that's
0: that's downstream. No, no. I'm talking like upstream guardrails. I'm talking okay. about like that farm woman who was getting that syringe out of a Sears catalog to use heroin to relieve her boredom, when her husband was farming for eight hours by hand, that woman was still showing up and going to church every Sunday because the society said, show up and go to church every Sunday. There were still Protestant revivalism and actually Protestant revivalism was huge in the late 20th and early 21st or not 21st, but the late 19th and early 20th century, maybe not necessarily because of that, but because that's what you culturally did. Um, the guardrail around, um, not the guardrails, but the, the boundaries, um, and this is where racism then kicks in the boundaries around black and white were firmly being enforced. The boundaries around men and women were firmly being enforced by the society and culture. What we've done consistently since the 1950s, I don't blame it on the sixties actually started in the fifties mm-hmm. is we've pulled out those guardrails in an attempt to, I believe, fundamentally Worship freedom, which is our God. (laughs) And when you go to freedom all the way to its furthest end, you're going to get an opioid epidemic because it's freedom. But you're also going to get like people who want to change their gender. You're going to get all of that. It's all in there together because the guardrails of, of social control, whether you agree with where those guardrails came from or not, is an irrelevancy. The guardrails of social control are just not. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're not there. I'll go. I'll go all the way. They're not there. They're just not. You know. Well, and and the freedom. And they don't. And they also don't have the cultural power that they used to have. And so cultural power is huge. So politics and the beat cop, that's all downstream from culture. The Irish Catholic paddy cop that's busting your head because you have drugs. He's only busting your head because he has because you have drugs because of the, the culture tells him he can do. I,
1: I. I. So I mean in the sense of um uh like the the positive aspects of having a beat cop the positive aspects of having a cop yeah who you engage with everyone in the neighborhood for sure yeah and it's like I just think I god I can't think of his name such a tremendous actor uh in in um in clockers oh yeah I
0: know who you're talking about the
1: cop who's like hey I got this tumbling cup for my kids Uh, I need mattresses are you gonna buy some and so like he's he's like I know your mother right (laughs) get your ass home and so you have this engagement in a way where it's like oh I'm part of the community I am not this outsider coming into this thing and telling you what's right and wrong I also live here and I'm saying like dude like this shit doesn't fly this doesn't fly yeah
0: well you saw this in the movie on the waterfront so in the movie on the waterfront where Marlon Brando is you know fighting against well not fighting but like He's, you know, part of the 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 folks who were on the waterfront moving boxes or whatever, moving cargo, and his brothers running the mob. Keith all, David, right? And Keith David, <laughs> and you've got the um, the parish priest played by um, what's his name? I can't remember the actor's name right now, but the parish priest comes down there, and the parish priest is like number one. Your brother's a criminal. He's always been a criminal and I tried to get him, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't help him. And now you're going down the road to being a criminal. And so this is, again, an example of that cultural push. You're going down the road to being a criminal and now I'm going to put guardrails on you. And yes, there are some things that are happening down here that are actually structurally wrong in the waterfront and we're going to fix those. I would assert that because of where we are at now in 2022, With the fragmentation of you talk about ADD, the fragmentation of attention, the fragmentation of of audiences, the fragmentation of culture. Everybody could pick their own culture that they want now and they don't really have to apologize again. That's freedom taken to its logical end. If you like that and it's working for you because you get to define who you are and you don't really care too much about boundaries or guardrails or you look at those as an impediment. Then this is all well and good. This is a candy-coated world. This is this is great. If you're a person who goes, you know, and Bill Maher is starting to get there a little bit on this. If you watch some of his stuff recently, you know, maybe we shouldn't talk to three-year-olds about their sexuality. Maybe that's a step too far. Maybe like and, and that's a guy, by the way, who actively was participating in pulling up guardrails, not but ten years ago. So, so
1: I, I want to bring another element to the equation in the freedom sense, and there has been an enormous uh, advancement jump uh, in in the, the freedom of wealth from the uh the poorest communities to. Now, oh, yeah. so what is yeah. so, you know, so are there, for instance, are there, uh, uh, are there, uh, uh, black families who live in lower income neighborhoods talking to their children about, uh, uh, their sexual identity
0: in lower income neighborhoods? Yeah.
1: Like, is it, how much of that is a, is a, is, uh, is, is, is is uh is an a, an extension of, of wealth in the sense of like i got like i'm so free and i right. have enough uh financial freedom mm-hmm. that i don't really don't have any problem so i'm going to like i need something to attach to because i'm spiritually bankrupt, bankrupt. because we yeah. don't have those those guardrails yeah those guardrails and so now it's and and, and uh and so the, I guess the, how this is not an original thought. I, I was wa- uh, watching or reading something along the lines of there was uh, in, in, culture, in Egypt and there was also a uh, at the height of wealth in India and also mm-hmm. Egypt. There was a lot of this like gender dysmorphia or or this mm. gender re- uh, reassignment or mm-hmm. these things were happening, but it was only really at the height of the wealth of these societies and so it's like it's like when you hear people say uh i'm only keto or i'm vegan and Mm -hmm. uh and it's like dude that's not a problem right like the, the woman who came into the coffee shop one time and we there was a there was like the equivalent of say like a tablespoon or two of honey doesn't matter how much on like made by a glaze with orange juice and honey brushed atop these like energy bars. Mm-hmm. And so the lady was like, wait, there's honey in here. They're not vegan. And I said, oh, uh, my sincerest apologies. I'll have, I'll, I'll change the sign immediately. And she goes, you know, people have uh, diet restrictions and health things and blah. And I, I was thinking like veganism isn't a, that's not a diet. That's not a health. Re- like you, you're, you, You're not allergic to not being a vegan. You know what I mean? So like.
0: And I'm going to pause it right there. And we're going to come back.